teach us, teach us to abide. God, we confess that we don't have that within ourselves to know how to do on our own, but we need you. We need you today. We need you in this moment. Every single breath, we need you. And Lord, as we turn to your holy scriptures, Lord, we need you to help us to understand, to convict us of sin, to lead us to joyful repentance, to guide us along, Lord, your will, that we may live in obedience to you. I pray, God, that we would not so much read the word, but we would allow the word to read us this morning, to show us the areas of our lives that are not submitted to you, that we may experience life in turning and running towards you. So ask that you do this in our midst, Holy Spirit. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's really good to be back. For those of you who've, who are guests or who started worshiping here this summer, I'm Steve Ratliff, uh, senior pastor here, and I've been on sabbatical for the past three months, and I am really, really glad to be back. And uh, I feel like God has really uh, come through on the two main things we were hoping would happen on the sabbatical. Uh, number one, uh, I have a, a type of rest and refreshment deep in my soul that I haven't had in a long time, and uh, certainly that's, that's from God. Uh, the pace was a lot slower this summer, and there was a lot of unhurried time for prayer and study, reading, uh, woodworking, goofing off, uh, just, just time with Brenda. Brenda and I established a weekly Sabbath, uh, which is something we've never been able to pull off before, and that's really a, really a sweet thing. And uh, all that to say, and, and we did quite a bit of traveling, Brenda and I together, then I took three extra trips myself. All that to say, uh, I come back really with my cup uh, really pretty full, which is great. And then the other thing is, uh, I feel like God has given me clarity for the next kind of season of my life here at Faith, five or so years, and um, some clarity on my own priorities, my weekly schedule, got a lot of great input on succession planning. A lot of wisdom there that uh, in conversation with our leadership about. So I know many of you prayed for me, and only God knows what that accomplished. But thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Really glad to be back. So two weeks from today, we are going to begin our fall sermon series on wisdom. We're entitling it Becoming Wise, A Matter of Life and Death. You can read more about that uh, inside the bulletin, the focus box on the right. You can read about that, that series. Next week, I'll be teaching on the biblical topic of the fear of the Lord. Today, we're going to look at a, a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 18, verses 9 through 14. And this is a, a parable that probably over the last five or six months has really captured my imagination. And I just can't quit thinking about it. I can't quit pondering it. And so I've gone back to it time and time again to try to tease out and understand the implications. What are the implications first and foremost for me? And then secondarily, what are the implications for us as a church? And when, when I get fascinated with a passage of Scripture, I don't, I don't take that as a coincidence. I take that as, as a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Slow down. Pay attention. Uh, pull in deeper. Move in deeper. And and so that's what I've tried to do. 
And I would say this, uh, this parable doesn't teach us everything we need to know about our posture before God and our posture before other people. But I will say that if we miss what this parable teaches, it will compromise everything else. Everything else we seek to do as followers of Christ. And so none of us want to go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years doing all these respectable Christian things, good Christian things, worshiping, serving, giving, uh, studying, teaching, uh, fasting, all these things. None of us wants to do all those things and yet bear little or no fruit internally. We none of us want to look around, where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the love, joy, peace, and patience? Or externally, where's the fruit of my life in other people's lives? Where's the influence God wanted me to have? No, we want our, we want our lives to be a joy to God himself. And we want to be legitimately helpful to all the people that, that are, are involved, were involved in their lives. And so this, this parable gives us a way forward. And so listen as I read um, Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. We're told in chapter 17 and 18 that people had gathered to hear Jesus teach. And uh, Luke writes this. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. And so Luke tells us right up front, right, who this parable is, is targeting. It targeted a very specific group of people. Look at verse 9 again. He also told this parable to some, one, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and two, treated others with contempt. And so first of all, they didn't look to God to make them righteous. They didn't look to, to God to make them right with him. They looked to themselves. They believed that it was their own right, their own behavior that made them right with God. And so when it came to their posture before God, they got it exactly wrong. And then second, uh, Jesus, or Luke tells us that they treated others with contempt. If you have an attitude of contempt toward others, you despise another person or another group of people so much that you believe that they are worthless. If you hold others in contempt, you view yourself as so superior to those other people that you really don't think that they deserve even the, the, the uh, common courtesies 
that all humans deserve, basic civility. And so Jesus told this parable to people who got it exactly wrong when it came to their posture toward other people. And so no mystery about this, where Jesus is going here. And so here's the parable. Look at verse 10. He sets it up. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We're told in chapter 17 that there were Pharisees in the, in the crowd. And so everybody in the crowd, including the Pharisees, would have assumed that the Pharisee is going to be the hero of this story. The Pharisees were like the, the special forces when it came to the Jewish religious hierarchy. They excelled past everybody else when it came to their devotion to God. But this parable, this, this Pharisee is actually going to embody the type of pride and self-righteousness that God finds uh, repulsive. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And so we we see it in numerous ways in this verse. First of all, his posture, the fact that he was standing far off. He put a distance between him and other people. It kind of reflects his obsession with differentiating himself from others. And so just by his his, uh, distance from people, he's saying, I'm set apart. I'm superior from other people. I am not like other people. And so that's that's what pride prompts us to do. And we all feel it. We tend to put ourselves in a category all by ourselves or in a category, it's just, you know, me and a few other people. And we're the ones who have it right. Everybody else, yeah, all bets are off. And so first of all, he was standing by himself. And then his prayer reveals how he treated others with contempt. He begins by thanking God, I am not like other sinners. And he had the short list of sins that he, he viewed to be, you know, uh, that differentiated himself from others. He's not like extortioners, people who swindle people out of money, or unjust, or adulterers. <clears throat> and so again, he, he points out to God that he's different, he's superior to common sinners. But if you read the rest of Scripture, both Testaments, uh, you'll find quite the opposite is the case. No doubt about it, this Pharisee was exactly like other men. He just didn't know it. Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus pointed out that that God isn't merely concerned. He is concerned with our external sins like the ones that he mentioned. But he's just as concerned about the condition of our hearts. And so think about the 10th commandment. And so maybe this, this man had never stolen or swindled other people, extorted money from other people, but had he ever coveted his neighbor's possessions, his neighbor's house? Maybe he'd never physically committed adultery, but had he ever coveted his neighbor's wife? And so no doubt about it, as a member of the human race, this Pharisee was just like other men. And then his final comment in verse 11 is really choice. I thank you, I'm not like even this tax collector. And so to first century Jews, tax collectors were the bottom of the barrel. They just were. They were were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire, and they collected taxes from the people for the Romans, 
and then they collected more taxes for themselves. And so in a very real sense, typically, Pharisees did, they, they, they typically were unjust. They typically did extort money from people. And so the Pharisee was not wrong in viewing the tax collector as a sinner. And that's an important point to keep in mind. He was not wrong about that, but he still should not have treated him with contempt. He had no right to treat him with contempt. And so at the heart of contempt is this this comparison and differentiation. And we all do it. We, We do it just naturally. We, we look at other people's sins and faults and weaknesses, and we kind of look righteous by comparison. And we feel fully justified in viewing them with contempt. And the more obsessed we are with other people's sins, the more justified we feel in holding them with contempt. And we become blind to the ways that we are just like the people that we loathe. And so I'm going to ask you to do something now you may or may not want to do, but you're here, and so why not, okay? How are you just like the Pharisee? Honestly, how are you just like the Pharisee? How do you try to differentiate yourself from other people and say, I'm not like them? Sure, I'm not perfect, but I am not like other people. I'm superior in different ways. And it can be different for different people. And there's a dozen ways that this happens. I find that sometimes I treat other people with contempt because I perceive them as treating me with contempt. Now, that's ironic, right? But that's the way it works for me. Or maybe for you, it's somebody who has has mistreated you in some way. They have wronged you. Could be recently, could be a long time ago that the anger and the bitterness has grown to the point of contempt. Or maybe like the Pharisee, you have a short list of sins. I mean, the really bad ones. You know which ones I'm talking about. The ones that that if people commit those sins, you almost view them as subhuman. Yeah, in theory, they're created in the image of God, but we can tend to view people that commit certain sins as subhuman. Or maybe you are tempted to hold in contempt people with whom you disagree theologically on some issue or politically. And honestly, you are just shocked that people can be that clueless, right? And so again, I would, would remind you that the Pharisee was not wrong in, how, in, his, in saying that the tax collector was a sinner. And it may be that you are not wrong or maybe you're not completely wrong in the things that, you, that tend to make you view others with contempt. But I think Scripture's clear. We still don't have a right to hold people in contempt. And we'll talk about why that's the case a little bit later. But when it came to his posture toward other people, this Pharisee got it exactly wrong. Turns out the same was true when it came to his posture toward God, look at verse 12. He says, I fast, he's he's talking to God again. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And remember, Luke set up this passage by saying, Jesus told this parable to those who viewed themselves 
uh, who who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so he mentions two things that he thinks make them righteous before God. First of all, I fast twice a week. The current practice was to fast once a week. So he was above average. He was excelling here. He said, I give tithes of all that I get, and tithe is 10%. He wasn't looking for loopholes, ways to keep more of his money. No, he just he excelled in, in giving his tithes from all that he got. And of course, there's nothing wrong with fasting and tithing. Both practices are, are taught in Scripture, but Jesus made it clear elsewhere, like Matthew 23, the Pharisees' tithing was just one more expression of their self-centeredness. It was, an express, it was not an expression of their love for God and their faith in God. It was one more way to make themselves look good, to have this air of superiority toward everyone else. But God was wholly unimpressed. Why? Because their hearts were far from him. So when it came to his posture toward God, the Pharisees got it exactly wrong. Verse 13, Jesus paints a stark contrast. Notice the posture of the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so this is the posture of a man who, who, who understands, if I'm going to be right with God, my only chance is mercy. And so the Pharisee, he trusted that God would reward him for his good behavior. The, the tax collector was banking on the, the fact that, or, or banking on God not judging him for his sinfulness. And so he prays this very simple, very profound prayer. He has the humility enough, the humility to own his sin, and he has the faith enough to ask God for mercy. And so this simple prayer is full of theological Inside and depth, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in what must have shocked everybody in the crowd, what Jesus says in verse 14 is that God granted the request of the sinful tax collector and he ignored the prayer of the Pharisee. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the Pharisee did not go home right with God because he exalted himself. He exalted himself before God and before others. The tax collector, he did go down to his house right with God. He's the one who is justified because he humbled himself before God and asked for mercy. And so these two men, they illustrate this this theme you find in numerous places in scripture, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I would boil down the point of, of this parable to this. True disciples of Jesus are humble toward God and everyone else. True disciples are humble toward God and everyone else. Now, uh, disciple is not just a fuzzy kind of vague 
synonym for churchgoer. It means something very specific. If you're a disciple, you are locked in on who Jesus is, and you are so teachable and so intense about it that you become his student, his, his learner. You become apprentice to him. You let him teach you how to live the way he lived. And so Jesus was humble toward God and everybody else. He was humble toward God as Father, and he said, he made it very clear, he was gentle and humble in heart toward people uh, that he encountered while he walked this earth. And so I want us to take a few minutes to think about being humble in these two ways, this posture toward God and others. First of all, humble toward God. Now, I don't know where everybody is here today. Uh, Some of you have been going to church your entire life. You know an embarrassing amount about what the Bible teaches. Others of you, this may be the first time you walked into a church. You may know little or nothing about the Bible. You may be 10 years old. You may be 80 years old. It doesn't matter your age. Whatever the case, this passage gives us a way forward when it comes to God when it comes to a posture before God. And so number one, uh, be warned by the Pharisee. We all have a little Pharisee somewhere in our hearts. We all have this tendency to compare ourselves to others favorably, selectively compare ourselves to others. And we look pretty righteous. I've heard people say this many times. Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. I'm really not a bad person. And the implication is, you know, I'm not sinful to the core. I just need a little bit of help. Well, I would tell you that if we just needed a little bit of help, Jesus would not have died a brutal, humiliating death on the cross to pay for our sin. And so be warned by the Pharisee. It's very, very tempting to say, I'm really not that bad. But then on the other hand, imitate the tax collector. Imitate him. Humble yourself before God in a very comprehensive way. And this is how everybody begins their life with Christ. By humbly admitting, I am a sinner. Beat your chest the way the tax collector did, literally or metaphorically. But gaze upon Christ to the point where you you become just... Uh, smitten by your own sinfulness, where you, you come to the place where you are distraught over your sinfulness. And like the tax collector, you realize that your only chance with God is mercy. And so own your sin. Say, God, I admit it. I have sinned against you and the things I've thought and the things I've said, the things I've done. I've got no excuses. I've got no excuses before you. And so I am asking you for mercy. I believe when Jesus died, he died to give me that mercy. He paid for my sins. And so will you show me this mercy that I might be right with you? And and knowing that God is the one who sent Jesus on this mission to be a ransom for us, it gives us great assurance that he loves to give mercy to people who want it. If you want mercy, you will receive it. Your sins will be wiped out. You will become a new creature in Christ. You'll have new appetites, new desires. If you've been going to church a long, long time and you just find it's just, it's just like you have to grit your teeth and force yourself to do all these Christian things, 
it may be that you have never humbled yourself before God and pled for mercy the way we're talking about today. You will find this difference if you come to Christ like the tax collector. Now, if you have already done that, if you're somebody like me and you've come to Christ and you trust in Christ, the challenge for us is to stay humble before God forever. To stay humble forever. In the next life, that's not going to be a problem. Read the book of Revelation. It is not going to be a problem being humble before God. But in this life, we can tend to drift. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago about this passage. This comment was, yeah, 30 years ago when I came to Christ in college, yeah, I just remember I was so hungry and then I was, I was tracking. I was thinking the same thing. I can just remember how, how passionate I was and how I humbled myself before God. But now, sometimes I, I get whiny and I feel entitled and I start thinking, God, you kind of owe me something now. And when this pride starts creeping up, the thing, the thing that humbles me is to fix my eyes on Jesus. You look at the cross, you look what Jesus did on the cross, and you can't help but be humbled. <clears throat> Carl Henry was a, excuse me, <clears throat> Carl Henry was a, a theologian. He walked with Christ for decades and decades. At the, at the very end of his life, he was asked, how do you stay humble before God uh, year after year, decade after decade? His comment one was, <clears throat> how can anyone be arrogant when he's standing beside the cross? Fix your eyes on Jesus. We'll talk about it more next week. <clears throat> we'll talk about it more next week when we talk about the fear of the Lord, because that's essentially walking in humility before God. But if we remain humble before God, uh, we're also in a good position to be humble toward everybody else. I said earlier that that we don't have a a right, even though we might have a point, we might be right about other people's sin, we still don't have a, a right to show them contempt. Now, why is that the case? Well, I'll just personalize it here. This is where I've landed in my life. I don't have a right to hold anybody else in contempt because Jesus did not hold me in contempt when he had every reason to do so. The ethic in the New Testament is that we are supposed to treat one another as God in Christ has treated us. When we were his enemies, Christ died for us, Romans 5. In Luke 23, as Jesus hung on the cross, do you remember who he prayed for? He prayed for the Roman soldiers that had nailed him to the cross. 1 Peter 2 tells us that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he entrusted himself to God. And so since Jesus treated me that way, he has every right. If this Actually, here's, here's the question. Did Jesus live a good life? Did he live the best life? Or was it subpar? Do we have a right to live something that we think is better than him, or should we imitate him? Well, since he lived this life of humility, he urges us to do the same. He commands us. Instead of contempt and hatred, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. 
And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. One of his first disciples, Peter, he learned this. It wasn't natural for him, but he learned it. And later he wrote, 1 Peter 3, 9, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead for you were called for this very purpose. I am convinced that as followers of Christ, we don't have a right to hold anybody with contempt. Now, I can almost hear what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, wait a minute. This sounds almost a little bit irresponsible. Are you saying that we should ignore injustice? Are you saying that we should ignore the sins of other people? No, I am not saying that. I'm saying something very different. I'm saying that as followers of Christ, we are called to have this posture toward, toward God and other people. We're to be humble toward God and humble toward everybody else so that now we are in a position where we might have an influence in the lives of other people. I don't know anybody that was just blown away by the contempt that they felt from other people and said, that makes me want to change my life. But I know people who have been melted by humility. And that's actually what Jesus taught. I mean, it's, it's in a lot of places. The most striking is in Matthew 7, 1. It's, it's, people say this is the most uh, well-known verse in the Bible. It used to be John 3, 16, but this is it. Judge not that you be not judged. And that doesn't mean don't care about anybody else's life. You've got to keep reading. He's saying don't be judgmental. Don't, be, uh, don't condemn people. He goes on to say that uh, you, need, you actually need to deal with your own sin so that then you'll be helpful to other people. This is Matthew 7, 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then... Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We tend to think, well, I have a little speck. You've got the log in your eye. Jesus, no. See the log in your own eye. Come before God. Humble yourself before him. Let him deal with all the things that that have made you who you are. Let him clean up your life, and then you'll see clearly. And then you'll be helpful to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so you won't go to that person with an air of superiority. You won't go to them with contempt. And people can spot contempt a mile away. But rather, if you've dealt with your own stuff before God, then you'll come in humility because you've already deemed yourself to have a log. All they have is a speck. And then you might actually be helpful. You might be compelling because you're humble before God and humble before others. And this is, the very, this is very countercultural, the kingdom of God is. More than any time in our, uh, that I can remember, and I know most of you will agree with this, our world is fueled by contempt. It's in the air. It's like a blood sport. People celebrate and reward people who can show contempt with the most flair. That's not who we are as followers of Christ. One last thing. The last trip I took this summer was my annual brother's trip. I've got three brothers, and uh, 
every year we take a trip unless there's a worldwide pandemic. So this is our first time in, in three years. This year we went to New Orleans, and uh, every time we, ever since the mid-'80s, we've also always done this same goofy pose. And so here it is. This is a picture of us uh, from, from right to left, uh, oldest to youngest, Uncle Mikey, Uncle Jeffy, Uncle Stevie, and Uncle Tommy. And uh, Jeffy, second from the right, uh, several years ago, we were sitting there, I think we were in Denver that year, and uh, just kind of out of the blue, he made this announcement, just shocking announcement. He said, you know, I've realized that I have been judgmental my entire life. He's like 60 years old. I've been judgmental my entire life, and I've decided not to be that anymore. And kind of cold turkey, he just gave up being judgmental. He's been largely successful, and he is just the sweetest guy. And I've thought about that for years. And in relation to this parable, I've thought, what if I would make it my ambition not to hold a single other person with contempt? What if I would humble myself before God to the point where he would root out all these things that fuel contempt? Anger, bitterness, jealousy, uh, pride, all these things, I let him root those out of my life so that I could honestly not hold anybody with contempt. Even enemies, I just wouldn't hold them with contempt. What type of freedom might I have? What type of influence might I have in, in others' lives? And then I think, what if we as a church, what if we would make it our ambition to be that type of people? We would be so humble before God, so humble before others. We just don't hold anybody with contempt. You know, life is short, and everybody is fighting a great battle. And how you and I live, it actually affects everybody's life around us. And so how about it? What if, what if we become true, maturing disciples of Jesus? We're humble before God and everybody else. Are you in? Well, God, may it be so. Would you do this in our, in our, our lives? Would you do it in our midst? God, we want to be the sweet aroma of Christ. God, we want to ooze in the things that we say and think and do. We want to ooze the kingdom of, of God, the peace, the joy, the love, the power God, we want to treat others the way you have treated us in Christ. So we pray in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.